Well, I must admit it's a real honour to be here this morning. Daryl introduced me before, gave you a little bit of a story, but um, in December of uh, this year, no, uh, December the 21st, 1981, that's when I met Daryl. Uh, so it's coming up 42 years. <coughs> so it's been a while. But uh, the interesting thing was the day I met Daryl was also the same day that I met Jesus. Amen. Yeah, so it's a pretty, pretty amazing day, really. And it's rather interesting that Daryl has already uh, made mention of Joseph as, uh, you know, as a reference to me, which is quite uh, interesting because that's who I'm choosing today to speak about. Is Joseph has uh, been a bit of a um, inspiration to me. So this morning I've uh, told him my message out of every adversity comes the seeds of an equal or greater opportunity. And uh, you probably wonder what's in this bin. But I'm going to start off by asking everybody, um, have you ever been in so much uh, stuff? That's interesting, bikes go past at the right time. I must admit I do like Harvey Davidson's. But um, have you ever been in so much stuff that you needed one of these things to get you out of it? Because um, I've been, um, there's been times in my life when I've been in so deep that I've had to look up to see the bottom. And uh, as one good friend said to me, you know, when you get to the end of the rope, don't tie a noose, tie a knot and hang on and never give up. Bear Grylls, I don't know if you've ever read a book by Bear Grylls, uh, he's got a book titled Never Get Up, Never Give Up. And he says, every failure is a lesson an opportunity to adapt and overcome. Boy Scouts have got a motto, and their, and their motto says, courage in the face of adversity. In other words, it's about being able to look at disaster, look it in the face, and finding a way to prevail. And that's, that's easier said than done. So I'd like to look at one of my favourite Bible characters this morning and see what he did when he faced extreme adversity. So... Uh, if you'd like to turn with me to uh, Genesis 37, 12, 20, and I'm going to read um, the passage of... Uh, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just trying to pick out snippets of it, OK? Uh, and I'm reading this morning from the NIV because I just felt that the, it, it, it extrapolates this so much better. And this is about Joseph, OK? And this is... Um, anyway, well, let's just read. It says here, now, now Joseph's brothers have gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And, and Israel, who is Joseph's dad, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. He said to him, Go and see if all is well. I just want you to focus on that bit, because I'm going to bring, come back to that. But go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent, them off to, then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. So there's a couple of points here. Joseph committed to his father's wishes. Okay, he was he was commissioned to go and check on the well-being of his brothers. So uh, that's what he did. And as it, as we read here, Joseph was only a young boy. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he uh, he reached them, they plotted to kill him. It's a nice thing to do for your brother, and plot to kill him. <coughs> so. Um, 
They said, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Uh, jumping down a, a little bit, I'm not going to read the whole passage, as I said, I'm just going to pick snippets out of it. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from the hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern in here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that his, mother, his father had made for him, um, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they uh, sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Israelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take, down, uh, to take them to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will it gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Israelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, our brother is our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels. Do you know what 20 shekels is worth? Well, 20 shekels is about 35 ounces of silver, okay? Um, and in today's currency or day and age, silver at the moment is trading about $35 an ounce, okay? So we've got, that's about eight, um, 20 shekels is about eight ounces. So eight ounces times by 35, 280 bucks. That's what they sold him for. How do you like to be sold for 280 dollars? You'd like to think you'd be worth, worth a bit more than that, I would have thought. But how do you think Joseph felt? You know, I'm coming back to the title of the sermon, out of every adversity comes a seed of an equal or greater opportunity. How do you reckon Joseph felt? Really? Where's the opportunity in all this? And so I'd just like you this morning to put yourself into Joseph's shoes. Like here he is, he's only a 17-year-old boy, and his brothers, what have they done? He's sold out by his brothers, but the big thing is that he's been betrayed, betrayed by his brothers. So, I don't know, have you ever been betrayed? It's not a very nice experience. Um, and I think it's fair to say that the older you are, the more likelihood that it, is that it has happened to you. Okay? So I'd like to look at that this morning. And, and perhaps, um, look, it's, not very, it's probably not a very nice topic, but um, I just want you to think, perhaps you know you've been betrayed by a close friend. Uh, perhaps uh, they said something to you or about you that wasn't true. You feel betrayed by that. Well, perhaps it was a relationship that's gone pear-shaped. You know, maybe a, 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 uh, even a spouse or current or ex or whatever it might be. Um, perhaps that went bad and um, it went really bad and that person is now, is the ex, you know. So you feel betrayed. Things just happen. Sometimes things happen that are so much out of our control and it comes in from the left field and it catches un unbeware. But, but um, let's read on and see what happened when... Uh, uh, we've got, I'm going to jump down to, chapter, uh, to verse 36 now. So the Midianites sold Joseph to in, in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. He was the captain of the guard. Um, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, uh, um, Joseph blessed the household of all the, of the Egyptian uh, Potiphar because he was there. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. So he's a pretty trustworthy sort of a guy. 
even though he was only 17 years old. Uh, he, did, uh, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. It goes on to say here that Joseph was well built and handsome, and after all, and after a while, his master's wife took the fancy to him and said to him, "Come to bed with me." But he refused. I'm going to jump down here a little bit. Uh, one day he went into the house to attend his duties, and, and none of the household heard. I'm in verse 11. I'm in verse 11. Okay. Now, one day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household heard. Servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called to her servants and said, Look, this Hebrew has brought to us uh, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came, came home. And when she told him this story, the Hebrew slave you brought to us to make, me, to make sport of me. But as, she, as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife said to him, This is how your slave treated me. And he burned with anger. So Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So we see here once again, Joseph is betrayed. He's been put in a position of trust. He, the, the, his boss, his boss's wife, basically, has taken a fancy to him, pursued him, and he's run from him. But here he is, betrayed. Well, most of us probably know the basic outline of Joseph's journey. I certainly just about know it off by heart. But just to summarise it, Joseph went from the pit to Potiphar's house, then he went to prison. And eventually he ends up interpreting Pharaoh's dream and gets promoted to the palace. Then he becomes the Prime Minister of Egypt. So Joseph started out as a boy of 17. So let's assume for the sake of this exercise he served in Potiphar's house for about three years. That would make him 20, okay? When he went to prison. Scripture, if you read the, the whole of what I've just um, of what I've just taking snippets out of it, tells us that uh, he was in prison for 13 years. So that now makes him 33. We know the story of how there was a feast, and a, I mean a famine in the land, but there, prior to that there was a seven years of, of harvest. So he had seven to 33, and now he's up to 40. Okay, had a couple of years for the famine to kick in. So let's say he's in his mid-40s. Everybody follow my maths? I think I worked it out right. So, he'd like to think that he's now old enough to have some wisdom in his life. You know, he's been through, through, uh, through yeah, his journey, has taken him through various things, through adversity, to get to this point, and he must have had some smarts about him to be appointed to uh, the Prime Minister by the Pharaoh. So, uh, and we read previously that the favour of God was upon Joseph and all he did. Uh, I'd almost go as far as saying that while he was sitting in his prison cell, Processing as to how he currently got to this point in his life, would it be fair to assume that he probably forgave his brothers? Because God's favour was on his life, I think he had to deal with that situation. He had to forgive his brothers. Um, and it was while he was Prime Minister that just out of the blue, one day his brothers show up. And he reckon he'd cope with that. Here's the very brothers of Chucky in a pet soldier, told your father 
a whole heap of lies that you've been killed. So not only did they, were they lied to their father, his father had, had grieved him his whole life. So let's just read on here a little bit. I'm going to jump down to chapter uh, 42, verse 6. Um, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, they reckon, he recognised them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. He said, where do, you, where do you come from? From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him because he was an Egyptian, okay, so he was, they wouldn't have known him. Down to 24 it says, though, he turned away from them and began to weep. I'd like to ask the question, I wonder what it was that made him weep. Perhaps it was uh, all those memories that came flooding back to him as how he would be betrayed by his brothers. Uh, can, you, can you just imagine the, emotion, the emotional roller coaster? Here's his brothers in front of him, just coming out of the blue. They didn't, they didn't use um, social media or anything back then. There's no mobile phones to book an appointment to see him. They've just rocked up. Can you imagine what's going through his head. Just perhaps also the words of his father came back to him to go and check on the well-being of your brothers. See, his father gave him a, 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 the job to go and check on these brothers and bring back a report. He never got to fulfil that. So no doubt you agree that it's much easier to forgive than forget. Ask me how I know. And I think Joseph might have gone through that. That's why he wept. I really believe that's why he wept. Because all of a sudden, it's just all his emotions come back. But uh, ironically, at this point in, in time, Joseph, he had the power of life or death in his hands of those, his brothers. Okay? He could have actually quite easily called the guards in and had them executed on the spot, purely out of revenge. Why didn't he? Because I believe he chose to forgive. He, he forgave his brothers. I just want to look quickly at another example where the same situation of life and death existed. And that's in John 8, uh, verse 3 to 6. And it uh, goes on to say, At dawn Jesus appeared at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman in caught in adultery. They made it... Uh, her stand before the group and Jesus said and said to Jesus teacher this woman was caught in the very act of adultery um, in the law of Moses is commanded to us to stone such women now what do you say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger I wonder what it was he wrote on the ground We've, I mean, this is something that we've surmised over the centuries. Um, but uh, when they questioned him, straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast the first stone. And again, he, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this time, those who had begun, had heard what he had to say, began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, only until, only until Jesus was left with the woman standing there in front of him. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? She answered, um, No one has no, he, hang on, he said to the woman, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave no more. Now go and sin no more. It says that the oldest ones left what first? I wonder why that was. And as I highlighted before, I wonder what it was that he wrote in the sand, you know. Perhaps it was their names. Perhaps it was their sins or their, or their sins. But one thing I want to bring back, bring to your attention was what he said. Jesus said, he without sin cast the first stone. You know, the only person that was qualified to cast that stone was Jesus himself. I just wonder, when he bent down to pick up that sand, <coughs> I just wonder whether he didn't pick up a rock, you know, and when he said to those guys that were standing there, he without sin cast the first stone, and uh, as you know, the oldest ones left first. But what did he do? He said to her, I forgive, you are forgiven. And actually when he did that, he actually dropped the rock. But he wasn't prepared to cast the stone. And he set her free. And he actually gave her life back. So this morning... I actually invite you to do the same. And in this little wheelie mini, I've got a surprise for you all. <coughs> and that is, I've got a bucket of rocks. Now I'd like a volunteer, if I could, to give everybody a rock. Now, there's one for everybody, and if you've got big problems, you can have two. <laughs> but, uh, once, uh, once you've all got a rock, see, Jesus forgave the woman. But if you understand the, uh, the context of what this is all about, he didn't just forgive the woman, the woman, he's actually forgiven all of us. But I'll come back to that. So, what I want you to do is I just want you to look at that rock I'll just wait until they all hand it out. By the way, it's Alicia who did communion. Lisa. Jeez, I tell you, when you set the bar, that was actually a brilliant message. I felt like it was hardly worth preaching because uh, you wrapped it up. That was really good. You've done a great job. Yeah. So, has everybody got a rock? Everyone's got a rock? Okay. So, metaphorically, I want you to write on that rock the name of the person, or maybe the persons, that's betrayed you. It's done the wrong thing by you. As I said, the older you are, the more likelihood you've got that, you know, the probably rock's not, probably not big enough. You know what I mean? You need lots of rocks. You're like uh, Forrest Gump, you know, sometimes you just need enough rocks, you know? <laughs> so. Uh, so just picture in your, if you can just picture in your mind um, and write on this rock the person or persons that have betrayed you okay so has everyone done that and look I don't mean to embarrass anyone this morning some people's rock might have nothing on it and if you've got nothing on your rock I basically give I'd say that's fantastic because you've dealt with stuff but I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning to deal with this so that's what the wheelie bin's for so 
Do I break something? No. No? Okay. I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning to do what Jesus did. And that is, drop your rock. So if you'd all like to come forward one by one and do the same thing, if you feel led to do that, and when you do this, what you're doing is you're forgiving, but more importantly, you're forgetting the betrayal that was betrayed upon you. Okay? So I invite you to do that now if you'd like to. exercise set you free uh, because like I said uh, Jesus not only forgave the woman but he's forgiven us but we actually have to then forgive others so I've got to ask um, I've got to ask you, so someone recently said to me that surely a, a merciful God wouldn't send anyone to hell and he doesn't uh, you do, you do it yourself actually and you do it because you have, we have to choose like I did back in December 19, in, in 20, I can still remember the day. It was such a significant day for me because it changed my whole life. Back in December 1981, 21st of December 1981, I made a decision that day to follow Christ and it changed my life. Um, like Daryl said, it was certainly a, uh, what do you call it, a falling on, on, on the road to Damascus experience. And, uh, Interesting. Last night I went to a 60th birthday party last night, and there's a whole bunch of guys, the same age as me, probably 60, 80 guys here that I, I knew of probably half the crowd. I knew of most of the others. A lot of us are Christians, man. And uh, but the the, major, the what what the, what the context that come out of it is how amazing it was that some of us even got to 60. You know, uh, some of the stuff that's actually happened over the years. Um. My t-shirt I'm wearing, Eternity. In case you haven't realised, Eternity has already started. You know, some people say, oh, this is what I'm going to do in Eternity. No, that's what you're doing now, because we're already in Eternity. So, I want to give you an option this morning whereby, let, let's, let me get, ask you this question. When you die, it's quite simply just a change of address. Okay? Well, what sort of address do you want? Do you want upstairs or downstairs? Or do you want smoking or non-smoking, you know? Yeah. So, uh, the interesting thing is that Jesus already has provided a way for us to, uh, uh, when, and, and it was, as it was shared in community, he's already provided a way for us to the cross. So, I'm going to give you the same opportunity this morning. And I also would like to say is, do yourself a favour and accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today. And if you'd like to do that, as I did 40 odd years ago, I'd like to come to the altar now and do so, if you'd like. So the invitation's here for you. For those, I don't know everybody in this room, I don't know who's a committed Christian and those who aren't. But I'll give you the opportunity now, if you'd like to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, come forward here and I'll pray for you. Okay?
Okay. So that's pretty much all I've got to say, really, about about my experience, about adversity. But as I said, as from the uh, the beginning of the message, out of earth adversity comes the seeds of an equal or greater opportunity. So what Joseph went through, you can you certainly can see the adversity that he went through. But he turned that adversity into an opportunity. And so often God gives us opportunities to do what we, you know, He wants us to do. It's not already. It's not always about what we want to do. It's about what He wants us to do. And sometimes the biggest challenge is um, knowing what that opportunity is. Um, young fellow that I uh, was talking to recently, he said, uh, "God doesn't speak to me." And I said, "Well, why do you say that?" He said, "Well, I don't hear Him." And that's an Old Testament sort of thing. I said, no, 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 you've got that all wrong. You're not listening. He speaks. You're not listening. Now, each of you, when someone calls you, let's say your mother calls you, well, some people's mother's already gone, but if your mother rang you on the phone or your dad or your best friend rings you on the phone, you don't even have to know, you don't have to see the caller ID. You know straight away that that's who they are before they even say anything. And when you become a Christian and you learn to hear the voice of God, it's the same thing. Just like you're making a phone call to you. Uh, so uh, that's my journey. That's where I'm at to today. And I just thank you, Daryl, for giving me the privilege to share my story and this, and this story of Joseph. Okay. So I'll hand back to Brenton now. And uh, thank you very much.